Hello, and welcome to the Global Luxury Real Estate Mastermind with me, your host, Michael Valdez. Today's guest is a fun one for me. It's um, one of my really good friends, somebody that I've known, my gosh, what, well over a decade now. And he has well over 30 years of real estate and hospitality experience. And he's held senior roles, get this, at Realogy, Hot Rock Hotel, Caesars Corporation, Wyndham, Starwood. That's just naming a few. This guy is the real deal, a great friend, Marco Roca. Welcome to the show, brother. Thank you, Michael. It's really good to uh, speak with you this morning, and I'm very excited to be on your show. Oh, brother, I'm so glad you're on as well. This is going to be fun. We've known each other such a long time, and we've had some wonderful adventures around the globe and, you know, some great trips. One in London comes to mind now, but I don't think we can talk about that one. <laughs> yeah, I, I hope we keep a lot of those stories off this podcast. <laughs> But listen, I just sort of gave a little preamble there. And literally, if somebody looks you up, your your resume is just incredible. For the sake of the listeners, you know, we've got the great, great um, pleasure and, 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 and luck of being distributed in, gosh, over 70 countries now with this podcast. So for the sake of the audience, can you tell them a little bit about your background very briefly? Sure, Michael. I don't know that you can make 36 years brief, but um, I'll, I'll do the best I can here. I was born in Long Beach, California, raised in Mexico, went to a Mexican and French school, um, and then to an, an American high school in Mexico City. And so that, of course, exposed me to Spanish, French, and English at an early age. And so I picked up those languages uh, growing up and then later picked up Italian and Portuguese. So I'm able to uh, communicate in a few languages. Of course, with Google Translate, you really don't need languages today. You just speak into the machine and it spits out whatever you want to say in the sexy female voice, if you want. So uh, <laughs> it's pretty unnecessary, but uh, I did that while I was growing up and uh, studied business and went through my master's degree in Mexico, then moved to the U.S. and really didn't know how to find a job uh, when I landed in Miami. So picked up a newspaper and as luck would have it, landed a job in an opening of Miami Airport Hilton and Marina. So started there as assistant director of human resources of all things. Go figure. Can you imagine me in HR? <laughs> in any event, <laughs> we'll leave that one alone too. Sure. <laughs> uh, so spent a few years in HR, uh, growing through the ranks and files and in operations of hotels. For about 10 years, operated hotels for Forte Hotels, Hilton, um, and then uh, got into development finally with Forte Hotels uh, about, uh, I guess it was probably 26 years ago or so, and never looked back, just uh, really did a lot of hotel development for groups like Weston, when Weston was independent of Starwood at the time, then merged into Starwood. Uh, worked for them for seven years, worked for Wyndham for six or seven years. Uh, and of course, most recently, Realogy, Hard Rock. And uh, the latest adventure was really going beyond hospitality into casinos and uh, worked a couple of years for Caesars as their head of development worldwide. And we had a lot of success there, got 10 hotels and casinos open, created new brands uh, and did really well with Caesars. And of course, you know, they've since merged with El Dorado. So all of us went and tried to figure out what we were going to do next. 
you know, you're such a slacker. (laughs) (laughs) You know, it was really fun when you were at, uh, obviously we met whilst you were at Realogy and and then um, obviously when you went over to Hard Rock, we were actually working on a deal with one of my uh, clients in Japan, trying to do a, uh, a casino deal there. So it was really fun to reconnect with you and uh, and we, well, I mean, we've never lost touch, but it was fun to try to sort of like do business in another aspect. But yeah, I mean, you, have, oh my gosh, Marco, the amazing amount of experience that you've had, you know, when you start looking at this from a, a global perspective, right? And um, so listen, I, actually, I was gonna, I was gonna ask you something, but uh, before that, tell me what, tell me a little bit, you were just telling me off air, the story of what you're doing now, which I think is incredibly fascinating. Tell me what you're doing now, and then I'm going to ask you a question that gives you a more global perspective. So bring me up to speed as to now. Sure. Well, you know, you you lose your job, you look around, and very shortly after losing your job, you enter a pandemic. So there's a couple of choices. You could watch TV and tear through every Netflix series there is. And, you know, certainly that's an accomplishment. Or you could figure out, you know, how you might be productive and what your next chapter in life will look like. So for me, it was very easy. I have the great fortune of having three young boys uh, as my sons who are very accomplished themselves. Um, my oldest son was also in hospitality as head of development for trust. And following the pandemic, he lost his job. He was furloughed. Um, and then my youngest son is studying hospitality in Cornell. And my middle son is in the entertainment business. So it all kind of comes together. So the, the answer was pretty obvious that what you really wanted to do here was to uh, create a business with your, with your son, some kind of enterprise that could be a family and get to work together with your kids. So we started thinking and we said, well, you know, with the budget that we have, we certainly can't afford to go develop Hilton's or Marriott's or, you know, $80 million projects. Uh, we can't afford to go buy even 50 or $60 million hotels that you can convert. So what is the space that with limited resources and with capital that we could go out and raise, we could realistically look at? So we, that, that was kind of the, the operating process that we began and we started looking at every single one of the brands. Uh, and as you might imagine, I, I know brands fairly well. Yes. Uh, and I've created about five of them. So really wanted to look for resilience. And resilience looked a lot like after we studied it, extended stay America. Because under good times and bad, people are going to need a roof over their heads. Extended stay had an average stay of 28 nights. So people were li- really literally living there, right? And people will always need to live somewhere. They may not need to travel for business. They may not need to even travel for pleasure, but you always need a roof over your head. And during bad times, people lose jobs, they lose their credit, and you know they're still gonna need a place to live. So Extended Stay America really in our minds provided that. It was also quick to build, about 12 months, and you know, within hospitality ranges, relatively inexpensive at about $110 a key, including land. So that was something that obviously we couldn't write a check for, you know, 13, 14 million that these costs to build, but we certainly could go out and raise capital along with our own 
and aspire to own, you know, one or more of these facilities. So we went out to market. Um, it was probably about seven, eight months ago. And we spoke with a number of private equity groups and finally won an RFP over six other developers to uh, partner with a group out of California who will be providing the funding for the first six. Uh, we're simultaneously working on a couple of other deals um, to provide capital for 10 or more, uh, but these are a little less mature. So we're off to the races. We've identified our first two pieces of land. Uh, obviously, the background in real estate and working for Realogy has really played a big part for me and really helped in site selection because you know all the brokers sure. and you know who to go to in, in the community and you know the right questions and you're able to source really good pieces of land. So I think that sets us apart from most. Uh, and so we've identified a location in Asheville, North Carolina, which is a booming market Absolutely. right outside of a moratorium construction area, which is just God given. And then we're very interested. We've got found a place in the panhandle uh, and we'll be developing there as well. So, you know, they're, they're not maybe the sexiest locations in the world. You know, you're not going into South Beach, but, you know, Asheville, I think, is plenty sexy and um, the panhandle has its own charm. Absolutely, it does. I mean, this is amazing. And I love the fact that you're creating something with your kids. I think that that is a fantastic legacy to leave for them, for you to sort of share your experience in such a direct way with the next generation. It's, it's really giving back to, to everyone. Um, I, I think it's a beautiful story. I love that. Well, it's really been exciting, Michael. I mean, you know, sometimes when you fight with your business partner and he happens to be your son, it's not the greatest outcome, but, you know, <laughs> you get through it. Who wins? Who wins? <laughs> Him always. He's way smarter. Uh, and then, you know, as we started developing this Extended Stay America, I guess the story isn't quite over yet. But my middle son uh, decided to leave his job in New York and move down to Miami to be closer to us and was trying to figure out what to do and. I had had this concept that I absolutely loved from Las Vegas. And I asked him if he would be interested in helping me to, to develop it. And at the time he was unemployed, so he was very gung-ho. And so we started inquiring about um, Capriati's, which is a sandwich shop out of, well, it's out initially out of Delaware in 1976, but um, really headquartered today in Las Vegas where they have over 30 locations. Uh, extremely successful, also did really well through pandemic, grew 7.6%, is incredibly quick growing. They will have 500 open stores in the next five years. So it was wow. time to pick up a, a great territory. So we negotiated with Capriotis and we acquired the largest territory they have. It's 250 miles of sand, really. Uh, so the east coast of Florida from, um, I guess it's, um, Jupiter all the way down to Key West. So all of Palm Beach and um, everything in between. So we're really excited. Our first shop will open in South Beach um, March 2nd. And uh, we certainly hope that you come by and we can grab a wonderful sub or a salad or any one of our healthy options. But I'm you know, Capriati's is absolutely extraordinary that I, I had to have it close to home. I love, <laughs> I love this. I love this. You know, 
I love that you're keeping busy now, right? While everyone else during this pandemic is trying to, in many ways, figuring it out, right? And so, yeah, for sure. With all of your global experience, tell me what your views are in what's going to be these global markets post COVID. I mean, you must be hedging your bets with extended stay, right? So you feel confident about that. But tell me what your views are. Well, you know, I really think that the vaccines that are out there will all but annihilate the virus by the end of the year. And once we have this devastating matter behind us, there'll be revenge travel as the Chinese have experienced and have coined the phrase revenge travel. So we can look forward to a really rapid recovery of the tourism sector, including airlines, cruises, hotels, restaurants, you know, everything that's suffering right now. And this will also be very positive and have a great positive effect on real estate as people have learned that to embrace remote work and are looking to acquire homes and destinations in suburban areas. Think of places like, I don't know, Costa Rica, San Miguel Allende, Switzerland, the, the dream locations that you always said, wow, if I could work from a chalet in the Alps, that would be so cool. And I'd be socially distanced a bit, but still, you know, within communities where I could very comfortably live in a beautiful setting. And then, of course, trade with China is going to get a lot better under Biden's regime. So there'll be incremental investment from China and other countries into the U.S. economy. And so overall, I anticipate a hockey stick recovery uh, by early 2022. And, you know, by then we'll have a few restaurants and new hotels open. So I think our timing is really ideal. I'm really happy that we started working hard during the pandemic so that once recovery hits fully next year, uh, we'll be in a really good place. I love that. And I agree with you. I think that that is really, you know, it all relies on on the vaccine. And it looks like there are several that are coming to market. And once it hits critical mass, I think that that's when you start having that that period of normalcy again. And I think you're right. I think it will take us through this year where people are starting to get comfortable again. I love that term of revenge travel. I hadn't heard that one before. So yeah, leave it to the Chinese. They, they seem to invent everything around here. <laughs> and, you know, it's so funny. It is true, which is sort of saying where people are now working remotely. Right. So, I mean, you know, with me, with 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 my new position, I mean, it's a completely remote company. And I remember Glenn Sanford, the founder of VXP, said to me, um, where would you like to to live um, when we were first talking about my coming over? And so he says, could you live anywhere in the world? And so it was like, that almost becomes too many choices and you get <laughs> paralyzed, you know? It's like, so I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a buyer. I just don't know where to buy. <laughs> <laughs> so, it's a good problem to have, Michael. It's a good problem to have. Yeah, it's true. It's true. Um, so listen, I want to ask you, you've had many, many teams that you've led, elite teams. I mean, I've met many of them in, in the organizations that we worked in together, but then also people that I met when you were at Hard Rock and other places. And, you know, I, they're always stellar and you attract that. What are the qualities that you look for in someone when you build your team? Well, you know, that you always have to look for the basic three, right? I mean, loyalty, honesty, and integrity, just there, there's no substitute for it and there's no getting around it. If you don't have those three basics, we can't go on to anything else. So, so those, of course, 
leaving those on the side, if you will, for a moment, um, I think that you also need to look for, um, especially when you're growing brands, that the person have a relentless determination to succeed. So where no, over a number of times of asking the question becomes a yes, and where you go back to a potential client, when you know your product is right, you, you have to be relentless in pursuing the client that you know needs it. I'll give you an example. I was working for um, a hotel. We were just starting up Microtel at the time, which became the fastest growing company ever. Uh, we grew 500 hotels in just uh, two years. So that was pretty extraordinary. We beat out new brands like Holiday Inn Express at the time. And and the way we did it was we, we just simply relentless. So I, I knew one guy in San Antonio. I had to drive by in front of his hotel, unfortunately for him, on my way to the airport. And I knew he had three pieces of dirt that he was going to develop a hotel on. I had that at Intel. And so I, I literally went to his hotel to speak with him 40, 40 times. Um, and at the end, he was literally like shooing me away and going, ah, ah, get out of here and just hated seeing me. I'd show up with cookies. I'd show up without cookies. I'd show up, you know, dressed in polka dots and then another day in suits, another day in, you know, whatever I was wearing. I just hounded the poor man until he said, oh, my God, this is absolutely ridiculous. If your company is anything like you, you guys are going to be immensely successful. And here you get all three of my deals because anybody that is that dogged in their efforts is going to have a company that's going to help their franchisees to the end. And so, you know, we got three deals out of it, but it was only because of this relentlessness, this never giving up, never stopping and having tremendous energy and drive, irrespective of your age. Yes. Um, because energy and drive are in your head. They're not in your body. So true. Um, so you just have to keep on pushing, and every day is a new day and a great day to make the sun shine. You know, it's it's so funny. It's it's the only thing that I think, you know, with me, it also keeps me going, right? And it's it was like so I was on a call this week, actually, with somebody, and, you know, I told them my timeline for opening the next country. And so they said, that's impossible. And I sort of said, I don't know what that word means. So please use <laughs> I, I literally said that. I said, I don't know what that word means. So please use another word. And so it was like he had no idea what to do with me. And so I was <laughs> like, Michael, that's really difficult. <laughs> <laughs> so at that point, I hear a yes. <laughs> but you're right. It is, it is that. And, and, you know, and I so relate to that. That's a beautiful thing, too. But I also love your first ones loyalty, honesty, and integrity, because that's your base. You can't do anything else without it. Can't yeah. do it. Great. You can't do it. So give me three pieces of advice that you would give a, an agent wanting to expand their business internationally. You have one of the most incredible lenses of an international growth. Give me three pieces of advice. I, I'd say really start looking at your business plan from the back to the front. In other words, where are you wanting to expand to and why? Um, who buys real estate in that destination and what is that client psychographic profile? How easy or difficult is it to do business in that country or location or state or wherever it is that you want to go to? You know, what are some of the tax implications? 
What are the rules around repatriation of funds? What are the laws of the country regarding real estate? Are you allowed to do business there? Do you speak that language? And perhaps the most critical is who's your local partner in market? So if I want to go do business in Mexico and I know Mexico and I speak Spanish, it's not enough. I really need to find somebody who's a local hero, somebody to partner up with who is knows all the ins and outs who will help me find those great jewels of real estate that I can then, you know, sell on the open market. So, you know, I, I'd say that out of everything, in addition to going backward to forward on your business plan, is really look for that key partner. Who who are you going to go to in local market? Because going to another country on your own, alone, is just, you know, generally a recipe for a disaster. You'll be taken by everybody. You'll be taken to rides you never imagined, and, and they won't be good ones. Yeah. Uh, so I'd say, you know, particularly if you're thinking of growing internationally, who's that partner? Got to have them. Love it. So did I get my three? So look at your business plan from back to front. Get yeah. your partner. What's your number three? I think that, you know, just your your ability and willingness to to give up a lot of what you have. Because if you're leaving... Say, for instance, you have a, a huge desire to do business in Costa Rica. Well, what are you leaving behind in the United States and make sure that you know that going in? Because once you start doing business in another country, it's all encompassing. You'll be spending the lion's share of your life devoted to that country and in that country. So what are you leaving behind? That's very, I like that. What are you leaving behind? That's really wonderful. Tell me what the greatest lesson you've ever learned in your career has been, Marco. Oh, man, uh, yeah. there's been a lot um, other than um, not flirting with the secretary. I think that <laughs> <Secretary> <laughs> most, I, I learned that one when I was really young and really quick. Uh -huh. uh, so we'll leave that one alone for another day as well. Okay. Um, I'd say that, look, all jobs come to an end. Uh, and, and maybe it's a little negative because of what I've been through recently, but you have to know that the bullet leaves the gun as soon as you're hired and you just need to dodge it as long as you can, but know that one day it catches up to you. You know, one day you either get too old and, you know, you pull the trigger or something happens, the company downsizes, you know, every job that, that you begin will end one day. So you just need to be prepared for that day. And while you're having a great time in whatever job you, you're having, make sure that your savings are you know being taken care of and that you're also thinking outside of the box and ways to create your own destiny as an imperative so i've always had other businesses while i was working for instance you know when i was fortunate enough to uh, work at simmons a mattress company and was involved with creating the heavenly bed that became a side business for me where i was able to with the company's permission sell that bed to independent people so that became a, a great business that I owned for 14, 15 years. Um, you know, but, I forgot that you did the heavenly bed. Yeah. about that. That's so like, yeah, that was awesome. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's been a really diversified career. <laughs> <laughs> my fingers and everything. <laughs> I, I don't like getting bored. So uh, I, I do try a lot of different things. But look, it's really important that you're either saving at a very strong level or that you're creating 
something on the side that you can fall back on when the bullet ultimately hits the target and you're no longer with that company. Um, but you just need to plan. And, and so I think that to me, that was a opener. You know, I, I just lost my job at 59 and it's fine. I could go find another job for maybe another two or three years. You know, people still hire guys in their early sixties. I don't know a lot of companies that hire guys in their seventies. Right, right, right. Exactly. So to me, it was, I damn well better have my own thing because I don't think my son will fire me. Um, maybe. <laughs> I love it. So, you know, you've had an incredibly diverse and wonderful background in hospitality and real estate, but really focusing on that. What would you say is the secret to great service? That's a really good question, Michael. And, and I think it comes from the heart. Um, I think service truly does emanate from the heart. Uh, people have to want to provide great service. You can train for great service, but if the people don't want to provide it, it's just not going to happen. And, and that's why people will traditionally tell you, oh, I love building hotels and hospitality in Mexico because the people in their hearts are very service oriented. There are cultures where service is not high on their list of priorities. I mean, you know, the, they have other great attributes, but happen to not like providing great service. So hire people that want to provide great service, that have it in their heart, that it makes them happy. You know, the, they don't come to work necessarily for the paycheck, although we all do, but it gives them great satisfaction to serve a meal and for people to have great smiles on their faces and, and say, oh, yummy, and this is so great. And you're providing that great warm feeling and it gives you satisfaction. So you're actually born with the right DNA to provide this service. And don't hire people that don't have it. You know, they'll be happier being accountants or any other field. Don't get into service if you don't love providing it. And don't hire people that don't have it in their hearts. Uh, so you can train it. You can train by all means, but you can't train heart. Yeah. And, you know, and all of us have that experience, right? All of us have that experience of the best service you ever got somewhere in, in the world at a hotel or, you know, wherever it is. But we also have the opposite, right? The worst thing that you've ever experienced. And, you know, and it was at that point, I mean, you know, I, I remember I was in, um, I was in uh, um, uh, Rio, uh, a few years ago, and I was at probably, I'm not going to mention the hotel, but it was probably one of the top hotels in the country. And, um, you know, a very expensive, you know, room. And I, and I went in there and, um, and I go into my room and there's like bugs in the room. And I was oh, just, God. Oh, God, this is great. <laughs> so I go downstairs and I said, there's bugs in the room. And they sort of said, what type of bugs? And I said, does it really matter? <laughs> Are you kidding me? Was that really the question that you came up with? <laughs> well, I don't want to go up there if they're dangerous bugs. <laughs> <laughs> so, and I tell you that I was, I was probably about, I don't know, five or six years ago. Never stayed at that hotel. That's hilarious. <laughs> chain of theirs because it stuck in my head. And it was um, one experience can kill a customer. Yeah. 
what it do. And so it was, um, so yeah, I love that because it has to come. You have to, it has to be something that you're born with or care about. You truly have to care about somebody, you know, and whether that's in, in the hospitality industry or whether that's, that's a real estate industry, when you have to care about your client, you know, when there's uh, 1.4 million realtors in the United States, there's a lot of choices out there for somebody. And somebody only does business with people that they like and people that they trust. And that comes out of that level of service. Without a doubt. You know, absolutely. Really critical for our hospitality industry, for sure. For sure. So tell me, where do you think, I know you mentioned a couple of uh, countries already in this conversation, but where do you think is the greatest international growth markets in your opinion? Well, you know, we've been talking about BRIC long enough. Uh, Brazil, Russia, India, China. I, you know, and I think that there, you're going to see a change in that. You know, following this pandemic, everything shut down, and so now as things reopen, who's going to be the friendliest? Who's going to actually take the lion's share of this growth? And I think you're going to see a shift off of BRIC. You know, we're not going to be talking about those same markets anymore. I, I'm really very gung ho on places like the Caribbean. Um, Latin America, especially, um, you know, Mexico and, and some of the many destinations that they have that are so gorgeous, so unique and, and generally speaking, friendly to business. So I think that I would be looking to countries that through the pandemic have changed their approach to doing business and that are providing incentives for people wanting to do business there. And I think you're going to see a lot of these Caribbean countries saying, man, you know, between hurricanes and um, devastation of this virus, we really are offering, you know, all kinds of incentives for people to come, including, you know, passports for our country mm -hmm. and no taxes for, you know, a tax holiday of maybe as long as 10 years. You know, you're going to start seeing a fire sale of countries trying to attract investment. Because unlike 2007, 2008, there's no shortage of cash. There's right. tons of money on the sidelines. Cash is all pent up demand, right? And so it's just waiting to say, where's my fire sale next? And so as soon as some of these nations get wise to that and start offering incentives to business people, cash is going to start flowing freely because it's pent up. I mean, it's all there. It's not like 2007, 2008 that we looked around and there was no money. Yeah. Um, this is a very different uh, financial crisis uh, because there is no shortage of cash. We have tons of cash, so much cash, we don't know where to put it. We're not putting it anywhere because we're scared of the virus. Right. But as soon as this goes away next year and countries start offering opportunity, those are the ones that I think are going to be the big benefactors. You know, you start looking at things historically that happened during the crisis, right? So you look at the golden visa that happened with Portugal in 2008 when they introduced it. And it became, they went from a, a, a very depressed economy to one of the best economies in Europe. And they had a lot of investment that came in because of exactly that, those passports for residency for real estate. You saw the tax abatements that came in throughout a lot of these countries. You look at what Puerto Rico has done with Act 20 and Act 22, now known as Act 60. And so, you know, you have all of these incredible incentives that came out of the last really big crisis. 
And now it's it, during this pandemic, you're right. There was a lot of people that suffered. A lot of people lost their jobs. A lot of people are trying to figure things out, if you will. And it is the idea that there is still a large amount of people that do have cash on the sidelines and are waiting for something. So I think that that's a really interesting perspective from your point of view to sort of see it's on the nations now to try to bid for this money. I, I, I love that viewpoint because I think it, I'm absolutely in agreement with you that brick was 20 years ago. It's not, it, they're not the, the powerhouses anymore. I mean, you know, Brazil and Russia, no, it's not. Um, so it's, it's, it's shifting that, that sort of like global wealth changes hands and by hands, we mean different countries. By all means. Uh, so, so it's an exciting time. I think that we're going to see new destinations pop up that we hadn't even thought about. I can't wait. <laughs> yeah, me too. I'm no roaring and I'm ready to get on that next plane. Listen, there'll probably be an extended uh, extended stay hotel of yours somewhere in that vicinity as well, I'm sure. Take it to the bank, Michael. <laughs> so tell me about, you know, I know that um, you and your lovely wife have also very philanthropic. And I've known that of you both over the, um, the decade plus that we've been friends. Tell me a little bit about your current efforts in that arena. Well, you know, we always want to give back to the communities that we live in and to the globe in general. And, you know, it's, it's not, you can't take it with you. So you always want to try to focus your efforts so that you can make an impact in at least one area. My father, I don't know if you're aware, died of ALS. And it's just a, an awful way to go. And so, of course, that had a profound impact on, especially on me, but on the whole family. And so most of our contributions have been to ALS over the years. But, you know, now that we've developed Capriotis, uh, my, my latest passion is really around the homeless. It just, it kills me when I see United States giving billions of dollars to other countries and we still have a homeless issue at home. It just, you, you, you can't ha have people living in the streets in the wealthiest nation in the world. You, you can't deal with these people and just let folks that have mental illness, you know, live on streets, not in this country. We need to stop giving to other countries until we fix our own problem. And it's not that expensive. Look, I'm in hotel development. I know what it costs to build a shelter with a very basic, you know, rudimentary plumbing and coverage, right? It, these are not expensive. You could, you know, there's a huge homeless problem here in Vegas where I'm at right now where people are living in sewage lines. I mean, there's literally communities living, they call them the mole people. Okay. You can look them up. It's terrifying. They live in the sewage gutters of Las Vegas, thousands of people. Um, how hard is it to take some of this desert and create a beautiful shelter for them and provide, you know, a couple of meals and make sure that they're covered and that they have AC and that they're, you know, there's barrack type yeah. Uh, sleeping arrangements and let, let's have a little bit of humanity. So, you know, our small thing on Thanksgiving, since we're famous for the Bobby sandwich, uh, which is basically Thanksgiving dinner in a bun, uh, we will be providing, you know, meals for the homeless in Miami and all the locations that we're at in Florida. So, you know, it's our small contribution, but, you know, if we all kind of push in the same direction, we'll get there. 
Marco, that's beautiful. And amen to those efforts and those statements. It is something where, you know, you feel so, so fortunate to have what we have, right? And it's, uh, we, we can't sort of go through life with blinders. So God bless you and the family as to what you're doing. It's, uh, it's amazing. Thank you, Michael. It's our, our little piece. Yeah, absolutely. So I have one final question for you, my friend. In okay. your current book of life, what's this chapter called? Oh, boy. Uh, let's go with Laissez le bon temps rouler. Let the good times roll. <laughs> Say that again. Laissez le bon temps rouler. Make, let the good times roll. I love it. <laughs> oh, my brother. Thank you so Thank very you, much for this conversation. This has been so much fun. I love it. I can't wait to see you in person. Uh, whether in Miami or New York or Vegas or wherever we end up being. But thank you, my brother. It's so much fun to always talk to you. I really appreciate it. Thank you for the opportunity, Michael. Really appreciate you letting me tell the story. Absolutely. And thank you for all of you for listening. This has been the Global Luxury Real Estate Mastermind with me, your host, Michael Valdez. Thanks very much. Mm-hmm.